Episode 27, What is the Form of Our Government? Welcome to the Principles and Practice Podcast. This is where we discuss biblical principles for life and learning. I'm your host, Heather Hall, and this is my co-host, Brian Hall. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today for another episode of our Principles and Practice Homeschool Podcast. Do you know, spring is just around the corner, and I think it's an excellent reminder that God is still governing. He's still in control. He has not given man the ability to usurp his fixed laws on the four seasons. And so he is still behind the scenes, still governing his creation. Yes, and uh, springboarding off of that, we're going to go on to our subject at hand. Right, and okay, so we are going to be reading out of Teaching and Learning America's Christian History, and I'm going to be reading a couple of paragraphs from page 240, because this gives us the foundation for the understanding of how and why America is a Christian form of government. So Verna Hall says, It is a common error among Christians to state that neither our form of government nor our nation is Christian, because the majority of its population are not born-again Christians. They doubt that the Constitution was formed as a Christian document because they believe that the Founding Fathers were not all Christians. The determining factor as to whether our nation is a Christian nation and as to whether the Constitution is a Christian document is not whether Christians formed the Constitution, but whether the form is Christian. The basis for judgment is the Bible. To understand the American Christian Constitution as the Christian form of government, it is necessary to consider its two spheres, the spirit and the letter, the internal and the external. Both spheres must be active in order that the Constitution function to preserve the basic Republican spirit of individual liberty. Today we still have the letter of the Constitution. That is, we still go through most of the legal processes of the structure of the Constitution in in enacting legislation and in the executive and judicial branches. But the spirit, which was intended and understood by our Founding Fathers, is missing and has been for the last 100 years. That spirit was the Christian foundation of our Constitution, the faith of our fathers, and as our nation has fallen away from its foundations, the essence of that faith, our Constitution has become a hollow shell. Uh, To expand on that, we have some quotes from different people throughout history. Uh, This one is from uh, President Woodrow Wilson in 1911. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. And then we have Chief Justice Earl Warren in 1954. And he said, I believe no one can read the history of our country, whether we look to the first charter of Virginia or the charter of New England or to the charter of Massachusetts Bay, or to the fundamental orders of Connecticut, the same objective is present. To John Locke in The Reasonableness of Christianity in 1695 uh, said, As men, we have God for our king under the law of reason. As Christians, we have Jesus the Messiah for our king and are under the law revealed by him in the gospel. Those quotes from John Locke help us to 
consider about God and government. And what we're going to do right now is go to Webster's 1828 Dictionary and define govern. We're going to look at the four verbs that he has here. Govern is to direct, control, regulate, and restrain. So here are some Bible verses for you to jot down and go back to in the Bible and read for yourself. Genesis 1.16, 1 Kings 3.9, and Isaiah 9.6-7. And the purpose of doing this is to ask yourself, what conclusions can you infer about government from these verses? Our Christian form of government has three distinct spheres of authority. Uh, number one is family, and that's to produce and train our children, and that's uh, referenced in Genesis 18:19. And number two is to be, to be a minister of God for good, and also to have to be an arm of justice to punish the evildoers. And that comes from Genesis 9:6. And third, and lastly, is uh, church, and that's to be evangelize to evangelize disciple nations, and um, that ref is referenced from Matthew 16, 18. And the result of this is, as we teach, light comes into our students. In the Christian History of the Constitution of the United States of America, Volume 1, on page 3, Vernal Hall states, Today, when thinking and talking in terms of civil government, our ignorance of fundamental Christian history in the founding of our country becomes at once apparent. We invariably reject or misconstrue references to the word Christian in relation to civil governments as being doctrinal and sectarian. Our Christian history as a nation does not involve doctrinal or sectarian views, and our failure to understand this largely contributes to the present disregard of Christianity in relation to civil government. Each religion has a form of government, and Christianity astonished the world by establishing self-government. With the landing of the pilgrims in 1620, Christian self-government became the foundation stone of the United States of America. And then she references Psalm 118.22 and Matthew 21.42. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Additionally, Dr. Jedediah Morris describes just such a time in our own history in the following excerpt from an election sermon delivered in Charlestown, April 25, 1799, from the Bible text. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11.3 Our dangers are of two kinds, those which affect our religion and those which affect our government. They are, however, so closely allied that they cannot, with propriety, be separated. The foundations which support the interests of Christianity are also necessary to support a free and equal government like our own. In all those countries where there is little or no religion, or a very gross and corrupt one, as in Mahometan and pagan countries, there you will find, with scarcely a single exception, arbitrary and tyrannical governments, gross ignorance and wickedness, and deplorable wretchedness among the people. To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness which mankind now enjoy. 
In proportion, as the genuine effects of Christianity are diminished in any nation, either through unbelief or the corruption of its doctrines or the neglect of its institutions, in the same proportion will the people of that nation recede from the blessings of the genuine freedom, of genuine freedom, and approximate the miseries of complete despotism. I hold this to be a truth confirmed by experience. If so, it follows that all efforts made to destroy the foundations of our holy religion ultimately tend to the subversion also of our political freedom and happiness. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican forms of government and all the blessings which flow from them must fall with them. So in summary, religion supports and sustains government. Remember in the principal approach, we're learning to think governmentally, uh, that is cause to effect. So I have another quote for you from James Rose in a, a Guide to American Christian Education. He said, Thus, to some degree, Christians the world over are directed to think governmentally, to be alert to what is governing or controlling first, internally in their own thought life, internally in their own thought life, and then externally in what is governing their daily domestic, social, political, educational, and economic experience. And there's hope in that because once we know the cause, then we can fix it. Right. So continuing in the discussion about thinking governmentally, there's a view of God, a view of man, a view of education, and a view of government. We have a, you know, if we put this in a graph, we can break it up into four sections. And under the view of God, this is our cause. He's the one, the only, the perfect, the creator. He's infinite, holy, wise, love, and our savior. And with this view, then it's going to determine the view of man. Man is sinful by nature and in need of a savior. That view is going to to determine the view of education. Education will then be God-honoring and Christ-centered and Holy Spirit-inspired. And that will determine the view of government. And that's the effect of the view of God, the view of man, and the view of education, which ends up being praise the good, punish evildoers, protect God-given rights of individuals. That means that government is going to be limited. In contrast to that, if there is not a biblical Christian view of God, man, education, and government, the humanist worldview of God is going to be that self is God or that state is God. The view of man becomes one where they, de- they deem man as being a higher organism and there's no autonomy. Instead of the principle of individuality being honored, there's the counter principle of collectivism. And then that determines the view of education, which then becomes to produce for the state and nothing more than that. And then that will determine the view of government and the effect of that being that government is to provide and think for the people. So in order to see the cause of what's going on now, we have to understand that humanism has saturated education. Mm -hmm. And what we're facing is that because the biblical Christian view of God, man, education, and government has not been taught for several years. We have 
a people that are accepting of the humanist view of God, man, education, and government. And so understanding that cause, we know what the solution is. We can fix it by restoring the Bible and the biblical Christian view of God, man, education, and government to education. All right, so remember that we are talking about a Christian form of government. A form is a shape or an external appearance of a body. It's kind of a hot topic right now, whether or not we're a Christian nation, quote unquote, but really what we are is a Christian form of government. Our shape of our government is Christian. We're going to visit Teaching and Learning America's Christian History. Again, we're going to page 241, and I'm going to be reading a quote from Rosalie Slater, where she expands on this. She says, The spirit and the letter of our Constitution can also be described as the nature and essence and the structure and framework. There is a biblical basis for both. The nature and the essence of our Constitution, the internal or spirit, includes property, Christian self-government, and union. Two of these aspects we have already indicated as having an internal Christian basis in our consideration in the foregoing lessons of Christian self-government and property. We shall deal with biblical Christian unity in the last principle. The structure and the framework, the external or letter of our Constitution includes the principle of representation. And the biblical basis for this is found in Exodus 18.21 and Deuteronomy 1.13. The separation of powers, which is found in Isaiah 33.22. And the dual form of government which is found in Matthew 22:36 through 40. There's another principle that is one of our founding principles, and it's the first in our list of principles. And that is God's principle of individuality. That is not a choice. All the others are choices. But God's principle of individuality is not a choice. It's both internal and it's external. Okay, so let's take a look at Isaiah 33:22. We read in that verse that our heavenly Father is the lawgiver, his son is the judge, and the Holy Spirit carries out the plan. This is government. When our heavenly Father is um, the lawgiver, that's legislative. The son is a judge, so that's judicial. And the Holy Spirit carries out the plan that's executive. So while Isaiah 33:22 is obviously talking about God, we need to remember that mankind is created in God's image. We, being created in His image, are able to plan, we can legislate, we can judge, we have judicial abilities, and we can do. We can execute those plans. However, the genius with the Founding Fathers is that they recognized the fallen, sinful nature of mankind and recognized that because of that, those branches of government needed to be separated so that there was a balance of powers. 
Our Christian form of government is a dual form of government. What is the dual form of government and what is its biblical basis? Well, we find that in Matthew 22, 37-40. It's the cross. It's man's vertical relationship with God and man's horizontal relationship with man. And at the center of that is love. So to highlight the main points about what we've been talking about, we can say the Republican form of government originates in the Godhead of the Trinity. Christianity upholds and sustains a Christian form of government, a Christian republic. The principles of government upon which our nation is based originate in the Bible. And representation, separation of powers, and a dual form are biblically derived and documented as Christian governmental principles. So we can say that the United States of America is a nation founded upon Christian governmental principles, and for that reason is considered to have a Christian form of government. And real quick, before we wrap up this episode, we're going to contrast a republic and a democracy. This is very relevant because to the left and to the right and in front of us and behind us, we constantly hear that we are a democracy. Well, we are not a democracy. A republic is a state in which the exercise of the sovereign power is lodged in representatives elected by the people. We are a constitutional republic, which means that we are based upon law. Whereas in contrast to that, a democracy is a supreme power lodged in the hands of the people collectively. It's a majority rule. And that is not what we have. So what does all of this have to do with my classroom if I'm teaching in a, a Sunday school or Sabbath school? Or what does it have to do with my classroom if I'm teaching in a traditional school or in my home school? Well, this is a great question. So in your learning community, you can take one of the aspects of the Christian form of our government and discuss how that might look in your classroom or your school, and you can record your thoughts on that, and then that can start the process of beginning to put into practice these principles within those settings. Okay, well, that's our episode for this week, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for joining us. As always, if you're looking for additional resources or support, you can visit our website at principalacademy.com, check out our shop and our blog, and you can also find us on Facebook at Christian Homeschooling with Bible Principles, also on Instagram under Principal Academy. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, well, this is Heather Hall. And this is Brian Hall. For Christ and His Glory.